guys, welcome to Outliers. I'm Molly Hawkins, and today we are talking about snowboarding. I have been snowboarding for 19 years, and my entire career and life has been shaped by the sport. Uh, the people, the places, the culture and influences brought on by the likes of early players, such as maybe Sim Snowboarding, Lib Tech, Jamie Lynn, Robot Food, Tina Basich, and of course, Burton Snowboards. And not to mention today's guest, Donna Carpenter. She's the co-founder and owner of Burton Snowboards. Her and her husband are the sole owners of Burton. She's arguably one of the most influential players when it comes to snowboarding. Certainly an inspiration for women and an inspiration to me. I was just Googling you and, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of the things that you're working on, but uh, I just figured I'd check to see what was uh, on the Google sphere and uh, I am exhausted. I, how, do you, <laughs> how do you balance it all? That's crazy. You know, I think, wasn't it Mark Twain who said, if you do what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. I mean, that's not every day is like that, but that's how it feels, you know, when you're doing stuff you love and you get to travel and you get to hang out with people who see the world the same way you do. It's um, I feel pretty lucky. So I I say the same thing every day. (laughs) Those long nights when it's still nine o'clock, I'm in the office. I'm saying that reminding myself. (laughs) Yeah, no, sometimes you have to (laughs) remind yourself it gets hard. But, um, you know, I think for the most part, we're lucky to live uh, or to work in an industry that, you know, people are here because they want to be here and it's their passion. So it just makes you want to be better, you know. For sure. And it's, you know, you surround yourself with people that are as inspiring and doing amazing things. It makes you want to work harder, too. So I um, do you have any tips for how you, you know, implement balance in your life? I know that's a, a big thing, you know, when, especially when you're working at the level that you do. You know, I think if I could go back and tell my younger self something, you know, give my younger self advice, taking care of myself would definitely be a part of it. And I mean that on every level, you know, physically taking care of myself, emotionally, spiritually, financially, every which way. Um, And I think sometimes our younger selves (laughs) get caught up in the work and we forget to take care of ourselves and then we can't be there for others, you know, including people who work for us. Um, you know, we work ourselves to a point where we're not really functioning at a high level. Right. So I think it has to be, and you know, and I think sometimes there's a competitive spirit of how long you're working or the hours you're working and it kind of becomes a badge of honor not to take care of yourself. (laughs) And I think that's crazy because I think that, um, you know, the more responsibilities you have, the more present you need to be, um, for the people who depend on you. For sure. I'm just I'm just trying to find ways in my life right now to figure that out because I'm coming up against walls. And um, for any of my friends listening out there, you know, I know next time I see you, you're going to say I told you so. But Mm -hmm. uh, just know I'm working on it. But like you said, it's it's hard because you're working with people that are equally as passionate about these things, about this industry. And um, you forget sometimes, you know, because a lot of the work does kind of seem like play. Yeah. And it's, it's really important to play, right? I mean, it's really, there have been times when I've sort of forgotten to make snowboarding a priority. 
or have been unable to make snowboarding a priority. And I think it affects my work. You know, I'm not bringing the same level of enthusiasm or clarity around it. Um, and I think that's one thing that we learned from watching the ski industry. I think that the ski industry started with a lot of passionate people and they kind of became suits and forgot about what they were there for. So we've always had that as sort of an example of what not to do. So we try to set the example to say, you know, part of this balance is getting out in the snow and remembering why we're all doing what we're doing in the first place. Right. And I feel like you guys do a really good job of implementing um, mechanisms within Burton to ensure that, you know, not only yourselves, but your employees, you know, are doing that. I think as your company gets bigger and grows, you really have to proactively nurture your culture. And I think we have so many things going for us in terms of our culture. You know, there's a strong sense of community. There's a strong sense of supporting each other, kind of, I call it riding together, you know, and bringing the values that we value it on the mountain like drive and passion and agility, you know, to the workplace. So I think, you know, you have to nurture it. You just can't take it for granted. So it's really making snowboarding accessible to people, whether it, whether they're learning how to do it or whether they get out 100 days in a season. For sure. I couldn't agree with you more. So why do you, Donna Carpenter, why do you do what you do? Um, what fuels you? What inspires you to keep going? It's going to sound really corny, but I feel like I work with my family. It feels like a tribe and it feels, um, you know, I feel like every day I come to work, I have everybody in this building sort of rooting for me and rooting for Burton um, to succeed. And on the one hand, that's um, a tremendous privilege. And on the other hand, it's it's a burden, right? I feel responsible like they were my family members for leading them in the right direction and making the right decisions and doing the right thing for the brand as well as the sport um, and not getting caught up in, in some other agenda. So for me, it's really that sense of having created a family. Now you take care of it. So do you know everybody's name? And <laughs> I come really close. I'm really hard at it. And don't forget, we have a Japanese office, oh, and yep. an office, and an Australian mm -hmm. office. So I actually work really hard at it. And I do kind of a quiz every morning. I look at 10 people and see if I can name them off their email photo. So I do try. And I do try to take a personal interest in, you know, in people's career paths, you know, especially women in, in the company. And I try to take an interest in, in um, you know, what they're contributing to Burton and how they'd like to contribute in the future. That's amazing. I mean, I mean, a lot of my friends or I know a lot of people who work there who have worked there. And I mean, it seems like a family. It's very almost cult like, you know, there's a lot of companies that I think get that reputation. And it's like, it's a good thing. I feel like. Yeah. What other companies wouldn't give for that. Right. And it is a tribe. And I always say it's a way of looking at the world. It's, 
you know, we kind of sometimes we say it's standing sideways. It's looking at things from a sideways perspective. So when you come into Burton, you don't necessarily have to be a snowboarder. You just have to kind of look at things a little differently with a sense of humor, with a sense of irreverence um, and grasp the lifestyle and what we all love about the lifestyle. And you too can be a member of the tribe. So do you have any skiers under your roof? I don't know if we do. We probably do. They're probably closet skiers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I grew up, I learned how to ski. And that that was for me a gateway jug that got me into snowboarding. So I couldn't. You know what? We are so interested in just getting people on the hill and away from their electronics and yep. whatever that that should be our goal. And if you do it on one plank, obviously, um, you know, that's what we'd prefer. But I think, you know, a healthy industry, a healthy ski industry is good for all of us. For sure. So you were talking about your family. I heard that you have a new member of your family, Billy Anderson. Billy Anderson. Yeah. Well, I feel like he's always been kind of an honorary member of the family because of his brother and everything. So we really couldn't be more excited. He's really come to us at a time in his career with, uh, you know, his own personal goals really align with where we want to go. So it's a great match. So what are some of the big objectives? Um, what are the first things he's going to knock down or build up? Oh, let's see. We had him prepare a go-to-market strategy on our apparel his first two weeks he was here. Oh, my God. <laughs> So that'll be a big focus for him is, um, you know, launching our new apparel effort and how we get the word out about that. So kidding aside, he is working on go to market strategies um, for the apparel, Um, you know, as well as the winter launch. We're in the middle of a winter launch and we're kind of doing it differently this year, which is cool. We're, you know, instead of doing one big movie that we rolled out, we did four movies that we rolled out and we have sort of events every month at retail and so forth to kind of spread out that welcome to winter message. The movie concept was really cool. It kind of gave a 360 degree look at, you know, what you guys are doing and your team. I loved it. I loved the women's too. Did you love that? Yeah, it was amazing. I love the way you guys did that. Yeah. And I think it really showed how deep our women's team is, you know, that we've really got an incredible, um, you know, different types of talent. You know, they're all doing incredibly different things, but um, amazing, right? For sure. So one question that I have for you um, that is, I I, I guess I'm curious to hear what you think maybe the, the biggest misconception about Burton is. You know, I think the biggest misconception is like, we're the man, you know, that we're somehow this corporate behemoth. When we are a privately held, you know, company, we're not publicly traded, um, like a lot of our competitors, um, with other brands under our roof. Um, you know, and I think that that's a misconception somehow, um, we're the corporate giant when actually we're not, you know, we're private, we're not public. We have one brand that we're focused on rather than a whole portfolio of brands. We're making decisions for the long-term health of the sport. And I'm not saying we never 
make bad decisions or we never make short-term decisions. But for the most part, we can focus more on the longer term because we don't have to share our results with Wall Street every quarter, which is a real advantage for us. So, and I think that, you know, recently we had a bunch of shop kids come, about 60 shop kids from all over the country. We did this thing called boarding school where they were here for four days. And they, you know, they came in with a certain perception of Burton as being big and corporate and they came out just being total converts to, um, you know, what I said, the culture of the company, the sense of being tight in a community and um, welcoming of people in our community. So I think that's the biggest, you know, misconception really is when you look at who we're competing against, they're much bigger and um, usually public. Right. You look at, I, I guess, not to name names, but you have, you know, K2 and Jardin, you have um, Solomon and Amer, and you look right. at you guys and you really do give a lot back to the community and to the sport. And you really, I feel lucky to have been a part of a lot of the events that you guys have done, you know, here at a local level and national level. And I see it. And I, I, I hope a lot of the efforts that you guys are putting out there are being seen by others. Cause it's, you know, yeah, and you know, my CFO hates it when I say this, but I always say that whenever we focus on what's right for the sport and what's right for the long-term health, of the brand, the profit usually follows, you know, it usually comes together because you're doing the right thing for your brand and you're making those um, more thoughtful judgments on how you want your brand to be positioned in the longer term. And like I said, you don't have to do anything for a quick buck. Um, so I think it's, it's an advantage for us. So I have a question. I solicited some folks from Facebook on our fan page. Erin, um, she asked, what keeps you connected to the soul of the sport and how do you elevate beyond the materialism, say, competitiveness of the industry, both personal, personally and as a company? Well, one big way I do that is through our Chill Foundation, which we've had for 20 I want to say 15 years now, we're in 13 cities across the country. And we take, we reach over a thousand kids every year. And we take very at risk, underserved youth from inner cities. And we take them snowboarding over a period of, you know, eight weeks um, so that they really learn how to do it. And all I have to do is go and spend an afternoon with those kids or an evening with those kids and see the power that snowboarding has to open someone's eyes um, to a whole new world. And that keeps me connected and motivated. And the other thing is teaching women my age. You know, I guess I have to admit that I'm at the middle of my life here at 50 years old. Just beginning. And, um, you know, I see women who may be bored with skiing or, you know, their kids have tried snowboarding, but they haven't. And then I see the magic of someone my age learning a new sport and experiencing that sense of freedom on the mountain that only snowboarding can give you. So I teach a lot. I try to get out there and work with um, the chill kids. I, I teach women my age and I work with a school program on Friday afternoons at our local school where I teach little girls for the most part, how to snowboard. So that's extremely motivating for me. 
Well, you are certainly a mentor. You're inspiring. You've inspired me. I look at myself as a professional. You know, not only has snowboarding changed my life, I have no idea where I would be if it wasn't for snowboarding. And, you know, I thank you for helping play a role. And Yeah, you know, that's one of my big missions in life. And maybe it kind of came accidentally, but I embrace it now that I really do want women to see themselves as part of the snowboard community. Always. We've always been a big part of it and we always need to be a big part of it. And for women to feel like they can find a career in this industry, whether it's snowboarding or action sports or outdoor um, I, you know, it's really important that we have a diversity of background and experience, um, rejuvenating our in- industry, you know, coming, having a pipeline of, of young talent coming into our industry. And if you're not attracting women, you're not attracting half the population. So how do you, how do you attract women? So we have, for the last 10 years, we've had a group called the Women's Leadership Initiative. And we look at that every year. We have a business plan and we look at how we can recruit more women, how we can retain them and how we can develop more leaders. So it's, you know, it's a problem across the industry that if you put out a job opening, you're going to get sort of 90 percent male applicants. So we have to be very proactive in terms of going out and finding the talented women. And I think, you know, people have seen the benefit of it for the last 10 years in terms of bringing new talent in. Um, So they're, you know, they're very supportive of, of trying different ways of just reaching women who are looking for for jobs. And then the other way is through our customer service and dealer service. So a lot of entry level women um, who are then given opportunities. For sure. Are you happy with where you guys are at? And how do you feel about the industry in general? You know, I, I, I always say I won't be happy mm-hmm. until we're 51% of leadership, 51% of sales, and 51% of participation. And then I can call it a day. (laughs) Um, And it's funny because I don't think that those numbers are, you know, coincidental that, you know, our sales are about 30%, 35% to women. That's the percentage of women that make up our uh, internal population. And that's the participation rate. So I think if we can move all of those things you know, get more women involved from a career perspective in the industry and get more women participating in the sport. It's only going to make our industry healthier in, in the long run. Do you, do you think it starts with getting more women in the industry? So then you get women that are marketing to women or creating products that are better for women, making it more attractive or accommodating, you know? Yeah, I don't see how companies address the women's market without having women in key strategic decision-making roles. You know, it's just, um, and it's never sort of anyone's intention to not give the women's side of the business what it needs. It's, it's more, you know, sort of guys sitting around not really understanding what's driving women's buying habits. So I do, I think it's very much, Related, And I am very proud of the um, progress we've made in terms of, of women's leadership here. We have a much higher, when I started 
10, when I started this initiative 10 years ago, less than 10% of our leaders were women. And now it's close to the 35, 38%. We have two very key VPs, one of operations and one of marketing. Um, so I'm, I'm really proud of how far we've come, but it, we need, you know, we still have a long way to go. That, that's incredible. I mean, I've worked at a lot of different companies and with a lot of different companies in the industry, and that's that's an impressive. Um, I mean, I've thought even of coming east from time to time over the years as I've grown in the snowboard industry. But uh, yeah, that's that's exciting to hear those numbers. Maybe maybe we'll attract you here. <laughs> I, but I, I think, you know, having, for example, ha- I don't think it's a coincidence that you see such a fabulous film about women snowboarders and we have a female VP of marketing for the first time. Right. You know, so it's top of mind um, for women rather than being an afterthought. Right. Again, we have Donna Carpenter here from Burton Snowboards. Um, we're talking about snowboarding, you know, with the background that she has. She has, she's an expert on this topic of snowboarding, women's snowboarding, and a lot of the issues that are near and dear to my heart. You know, the next one that I'm really excited to hear from you is on the unsustainability and the initiatives that you guys have put into place and kind of what your, your view is. Yeah, that's really exciting. And I think, again, it's an area where we've made a lot of progress in a short period of time. We've had different initiatives around product, sustainable product and using sustainable materials. And we've had a pretty grassroots organization of employees working on, you know, kind of facility sustainability. But we really um, what we've done in the last year and a half is is make it into a department that reports directly to me. So we promoted um, a terrific young woman who was a product developer for boards for many years, so she knows how a board is manufactured and, and what goes into manufacturing. Um, and she had a passion for sustainability. So I've hired her, and now she's got um, a team of people. We're doing our own social audits on the social side, so we're very focused in on human rights and the supply chain. And um, rather than relying on third-party audits, we've started doing our own audits. And then we're working, um, you know, on the restricted chemical side to make sure that our products don't contain um, restricted chemicals. So it's it's um, it's a lot, but I think we've been able to really change the culture around here. I think that people see it as an opportunity, not just to spend money, but to look at things differently. Like all of a sudden, if you're Looking at things from the sustainability lens, you can definitely become a more efficient company. Like all of a sudden you look at packaging and you say, okay, what do we need all this excess packaging for? You can remove it, you end up saving money. So it's, um, and I've been really thrilled with how our engineers have taken it on as a challenge in terms of innovation. And they have come up with, I've seen some really exciting um recent developments that they're coming up with because they looked at things from a sustainability point of view and it's kind of changing how they're innovating. So it's a real company-wide initiative that um, required some kind of cultural change to get us focused on it, but I think everybody's really pleased with how it's going. So from a business perspective, it's uh, the net impact seems to be positive 
I mean, to the bottom yeah, line. Yeah, it really, it really is. And that's how we've approached it, you know. And the other thing is, you you know, the, the, there is risk if you don't do anything, right? Um, so you're at risk for finding, you know, that one of your factories wasn't compliant. And, you know, not that we'd have a Bangladesh type situation, because I think that's more fast fashion. You know, when you're producing higher end garments, you need kind of higher end factories. Mm-hmm. But there's always a risk if you're not knowing you know if you're not auditing and know exactly what's going on with your factories or there's a chance that a restricted chemical will end up in your product so it makes business sense and but i think what surprised everybody was how it could then become a platform for doing things better so i mean have you guys felt felt like the the entire company's behind it now i mean Yeah, in a really amazing way. Like everybody's put it into their goals and everybody can touch it one way or another, whether it's just getting involved. We have a group that uh, a community employee group called Epic that they, you know, they do things like bicycle sharing and they have a community garden um, and, you know, they're really focused on reducing waste. We're trying, you know, all of our events now, like the Fall Bash and the U.S. Open, we're trying to go to zero waste. So it feels like everybody can get involved in it from a certain angle. And I also think that the consumer feedback has been it's what keeps us going because people really support support you. They know you're not going to be perfect. And, and you know, we come out and say, hey, we make a petroleum-based product. Um, it's, it's difficult or whatever. We've got a complicated supply chain, but we're going to do the best we can. And people really, I think, um, appreciate that and expect it. You know, um, I... From- from a consumer and a consumer standpoint, I'll tell you right now, I'm actually wearing a brand new Burton hoodie that was made of recycled, I think, bottles. Yes. And yes. Uh, I paid a few more bucks extra because I loved the concept and it actually is pretty fashionable. I feel like nowadays, more so than ever, you can actually get pieces that were made consciously without without compromising style. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's a real debate within the action sports world on how much our consumers quote unquote care, or I guess that translate into will they pay more for um, sustainable materials? But um, I, I think the answer is yes. If it looks good. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love this hoodie. This is my favorite hoodie. <laughs> nice. That's great. Yeah. That's a great collaboration we're doing with Mountain Dew. Yeah. And surprising, unlikely to, I, I haven't, I don't drink soda myself, but it's really <laughs> cool to see that cycle and what you guys are able to do with that. Yep. Um, so I have a couple more questions from people and, um, one of them was based around, um, lifestyle. Carly, she asked if it, she says it, Seems like Burton has done a great job bringing mountain inspiration to streetwear and bags and even sells through Nordstrom's. Are there plans to continue appealing to that broader market and that broader consumer? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think the short answer is yes. And I think it took us a long time to really believe and have the confidence that we could sell this snowboard lifestyle. You know, you had companies like Quicksilver selling the surf lifestyle very successfully. And I think somehow we thought, oh, you know, people are, are people going to want to wear Burton off 
the mountain and in the summer. And, you know, now I think we've got this real confidence that our brand and our lifestyle stands for a lot more than just snowboarding. I, you know, it's, it's about the travel. It's about the people you meet. It's about being part of that tribe I talked about. Um, and, and, and everybody can be a part of it. You know, you can be a writer, you can be a writer at heart. You look at the world a little differently and you can relate to what we love about our lifestyle. So the answer is yes, we are, you know, I think we finally got the confidence to build a product that represents who we are, you know, with some New England heritage and craftsmanship that we've always been known for, but to basically be selling to the broader lifestyle market. Do you put checks and balances in place to make sure that you don't compromise on that value proposition of what you've been doing in the past? <laughs> you know what? Our check and balance is Jake. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. He really, I mean, even I'll present him with some proposals, you know, for the brand that will make us some short term money. And he'll just look at it and say, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're not going to maybe do a collaboration with, um, you know, something that wouldn't help our image in the long term. So the advantage we have is that we don't have to saturate distribution quickly. When we go into a Nordstrom's, we can do it carefully. We can make sure that it's not the same product that people are getting at their core snowboard shops. I think that's important, you know, to mm -hmm. make the specialty retailer. Um, you know, the specialty retailer is what drove this sport and grew this sport. So we want to make sure that they um, continue to grow as well. So the answer is yes, while being very careful about mm -hmm. both our brand image and our and taking care of our distribution. So this is actually a perfect segue. Matt has a question, which I think might be answered um, from this more succinct question here. What are the biggest challenges that snowboard participation is faced with, you know, and then, you know, what are you doing to help grow in a sustainable manner snowboarding? Right. Well, I think, you know, snowboarding is it's, you know, to some extent, participation does depend on the health of the economy. And we have seen a decline in participation. So affordability is certainly, I think, a barrier that we all need to um, continue to talk about and, you know, how we can make the sport more accessible to more people. Um, you know, we we talk about participation a lot. We actually have a whole department that, that is experienced snowboarding um, that works on the LTR programs, the, the stash runs, um, you know, things like that, committing to uh, the riglet parks. I don't know if you've seen those, but these are these little parks that we can take around and get two, three, and four-year-olds um, snowboarding. I think that's a problem snowboarding has had and needs to overcome is that perception that um, you should ski first, that if you're three or four years old, you should ski and not snowboards. And, you know, we've really developed equipment and learning techniques so the kids can start on snowboards. And I'm convinced if they start on a snowboard, they'll, they'll stay on a snowboard. Um, you know, and I think... Um, women it's it's reaching women and, and um kind of convincing them to continue to participate with their family you know we're reaching that sort of 
next generation of snowboarders and we've got to work hard to keep them engaged. And I think you do that through their families. Yeah. I've, uh, gosh, Brad Stewart um, from Bonfire Solomon was up in Seattle um, at Snowboard Connection, I think last week, and he was talking a lot about growing participation. And one of the things he talked a lot about was, you know, getting kids out there, creating good experiences and maybe looking at it totally differently. And then, like you said, instead of starting them on skis, you know, um, start them, start them on a snowboard. And, you know, the Riglick parks, not only are they adorable, <laughs> um, I, I mean, that's a great point. Get them out on a safe plane on the, you know, on the ground, let them experience the feeling, you know, before you throw them out on a big scary mountain, maybe, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Just get them exposed to it earlier. You know, we're working with school programs to make sure that they, you know, offer snowboarding. So it's a multi-pronged approach. It's, it's working with the resorts. Some resorts are more receptive um, than others. But I think you're absolutely right. It's about the whole experience for an individual, for a family, for kids, you know, how much fun is it and how easy is it really determines whether you're going to come back. So I have one last question from Fleur. She wants, she says, I'd love to hear your take on the sexualization of female snowboarders as that relates to sponsorship and media coverage. Wow, that's that's a big topic. <laughs> I just attended a great conference that ESPN does every year. It's called Women in Sports, um, and this year was great. It was they had a lot of snowboarders there this year because of the focus on the Winter Olympics. But this is a topic, um, you know, that has come up um, a lot. I think that I don't know. I, I think that it's a burden that female athletes have and that hopefully action sports and snowboarding in particular has gotten a bit beyond that, right? We've always had equal prize money for women. Women have always competed on the same half pipe um, as men. I think women are taken very seriously as athletes. But to say that they're never going to struggle with the sexualization from a marketing perspective, you know, is unrealistic. And I think the athletes that succeed are the ones that can find that balance. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's a constant struggle. There's, you know, the athletes that are that that are very hardcore and maybe aren't, you know, being portrayed in the media the same way, but then you have the ones that might be getting more media play. And so there's that back and forth, I think, constantly. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, as, you know, the industry involves for, evolves for women, if that, that changes or if that's just the nature of, um, I mean, because I feel like on the men's side, you probably have very similar dynamics as well, but we, we just don't notice them maybe. Yeah, it's hard. You know, I saw two very well-known athletes at this conference um, talking about it. One had done a Playboy spread and the other one said she never would. Um, and so you have these kind of interesting debates where one athlete says, hey, you got to, you know, take advantage of what you can when you can. And another one saying, you know, by principle, we should never do it. So I think the important thing is for women to support each other um, in those decisions and for companies to support them as, as real athletes. 
Are there places for people to go to maybe learn a little bit more about, I mean, do you have a personal blog or are there resources that you look to on the web where, you know, people could go to learn more about um, the women's market or how to play a role or kind of a lot of the, the stuff that you've been exposed to? Yeah, I can definitely plug Burton Girls, which is um, our website, burtongirls.com, which is a website we started. This is our third year. And the idea behind it really was to reflect and nurture women as whole human beings and not just as snowboarders, right? So there's a lot of stuff on there about snowboarding, but also about travel, lifestyle, beauty, health tips. Um, I write an occasional blog on there. Um, and it's been a great platform, um, for girls who, um, you know, see snowboarding as an important part of their life, but as one part, you know, I follow that blog religiously. I think I subscribe in probably four or five different ways. So I appreciate the diversity in it, the conversation and kind of how it adds value to my life and kind of skews snowboarding and in a different way. Yeah, I feel like we as women have found, especially this generation has found their voice and found what's core for women, right? You know, it used to be we kind of defined what was core in relation to what men thought were core. And now I really see women like you and our team riders who have such strong, authentic voices and they're going to be who they are. Um, as well as being world-class athletes. Well, I can't wait to see what that'll do for generations to come now that we're kind of promoting these messages. We have people like yourself, and I look to myself and try and, you know, aspire to promote these messages as well. So I'm hoping to see this, you know, even more uh, present in the future and see more women out there. Yeah, and it's really, because it really is a gift, right? Snowboarding's like a gift from the gods, and you just want to mm-hmm. share it and you know, like you said, we're really lucky to be able to live the lifestyle that we do and have the connection to nature and to people and to a community. Um, and I just want more women to be part of that. Well, I just want to say thank you for everything that you do. I've been snowboarding for nearly 20 years now, and I hope to do it for another 30, 40 years. I don't know, maybe, maybe not 50, but, uh, <laughs> and, well, I have to say at this point, I don't want to be the best. I want to be the oldest out there. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> I want to be out there when I'm 90. So. All right. Well, we'll be, we'll be checking back with, in with you when you're 90. See how you're doing. Well, I really appreciate it. I look. Keep up the great work, Molly. You're very inspiring too. Visit our website, outliersproject.com, for more on Donna, Women in Board Sports, Burton and more. We'll put some links and resources up there for you. And tune in again soon and subscribe to our podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks.